Hello everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we take subjects and try and create some order from the disorder. But there'll be times that we will most likely create more disorder uh, in our way. So you follow <laughs> us at Twitter at Information Entropy Pod, Instagram at Information Entropy Pod, uh, on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your, your daily podcast listening from. Um, don't forget to, if you are listening and you do enjoy what we've said over the hour, give us a, a like and a follow. It really helps us out. Uh, this gets us on to today's subject. Uh, I hope you're there, sat down with a nice tea and coffee, and that you used a good, a great filter for your coffee. Hey, hey yeah. Hey. <laughs> He's only gone off, and done it. Off the cuff. Yeah. Great filters. <laughs> That's what we're here what, for. We what like makes it. good coffees. Great filters. <laughs> very apt. Very apt. Yes, very very apt. Dearie me. How you doing, Tom? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right. Uh, who are you, mate? You've forgot to tell everyone who you are. Oh yeah. Well, I was hoping that they would, they would have listened to our intro pod. Uh, but if you don't, if you haven't, go back and listen to it. It gives us interest in, into who we are. Uh, where we come from, what we do. My name is Mitchell Gatting. I am joined, as per usual, by uh, Tom. Hello. How are you I'm, doing, Tom? I, I'm good, thank you. I'm, I'm good, thank you. We are back, finally, into like the full yeah. swing of things. We did our intro show last week, which I hope people enjoyed. Gave us a bit of a... Gave them, I guess, a bit of an insight into who we are, whereas now we can get yeah. on with the science in our weird and wonderful way. Indeed, indeed. And if we do mess up a little bit, just a little bit rusty, just a little bit rusty, you know? It's right. been a while it takes some time. Yeah, I was trying to work out how many how many months it's been since we actually recorded a pod. I think it was ordering two now, two, three. Wow, that's a long time for us. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And that, that was your, your first ever intro on this podcast. And, yeah, uh, well, I, I like it, mate. Yeah. The sign of things to come. <laughs> Um, I do want to apologise very quickly for anyone who did listen to the intro pod. Uh, there were some strange bumps and things coming from my end of the recording that I couldn't pick up when it was happening. It didn't look like that. Uh, I tried to get rid of them manually and artificially, so apologies for that if they're there and annoying. Otherwise, you didn't notice, and now you you, you did. Go back. Give it another listen. <laughs> give, us, give us some more analytics. Go on. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, I'm not really sure what my outro was last week. So <laughs> that's a thing. Maybe we'll hear it again. Maybe we won't. Oh, dear. That was, the, that was a chortle. That, that, was, that was funny. That was yeah. funny indeed. Um, I got some quick podcast news before we head into news news. Okay. So... If you don't know, it sometimes takes a while for your podcast to show up on, on different platforms. And if you haven't added them to a platform yet, it can take even longer. So some of you, I think a couple of you actually, were pretty lucky and saw our podcast before Friday. So shout out to our primetime viewers. Um, but if you're wondering where else you can find us, currently the list is Podbean, Spotify, Samsung, iHeartRadio, Podchaser, Player FM, Listen Notes, Deezer, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, Alexa, and those things. If I didn't name it, we're still waiting. So that's basically just uh, iTunes. But if uh, you're, hopefully, we ask you very kindly to share the podcast with literally any thing. It doesn't even have to be conscious. It could be a plant if you like. But yeah. if that plant happens to use iTunes... They're just going to have to wait a tiny bit or find uh, a different podcast directory. Uh, but yes. Yeah. To be honest, it was easier just to say that it wasn't on iTunes, to be honest, than really them all off. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. Oh, well. We did it now. Oh, well. yeah. So. M moving on. Why don't we get on with our first news of the week? Yeah, that, uh, of this podcast, and news. just That's a very news. another quick thing I forgot to mention. We're actually a bit organised this time, and we're recording our podcast a week in advance. So if our news doesn't seem like hot off the press news, it, it might be to us, it might not be to you. 
Mm. Um, yeah. Well, but, always something to keep in mind. Exactly. But if you're not someone who keeps up with science news, then hopefully this will still be interesting uh, to you anyway. Mm-hmm. Yes. Hopefully. If not, <laughs> listen to the next episode, because I'm sure the next one will uh, be your interest. Exactly. You never know. Like You never know. Yeah, yeah I was going to make bag. a really weird <laughs> tangent then, but I'm not going to go down it. Um, okay. <laughs> what's your news then, mate? What have you got for us this week? So I thought that as I sort of harped on about it in the last episode, that I would go, I would pick some some space news, as as said it be said, it was like favorite subject. Yes. Um, and some some black hole space news, nonetheless. Oh wow! Another one of our favorites. Um, and the news is that scientists have recently observed two black black holes coalescing into one, uniting. Um, which if you just imagine it, is pretty horrifying. Um. But then in that process, it got a, a kick that flung the newly formed black hole away at really high speeds. That's scary. Yeah. And you know, what's, you know what's even scarier is the actual speed of it. Right. The, the black hole sped off at about 5 million kilometers per hour. Give or take a few million. Because you know, scientists and they need their bounded accuracies. That's mad. Is, yeah, so that's only one two hundredth of the speed of light. So, like in my head, right? <laughs> people yeah, have yeah. these fears of black holes, which is completely one irrational, but two completely makes sense. Like, yeah, I don't judge you if you have a fear of black holes, mm-hmm. but you imagine them. Okay, they're in the center of the galaxies or they're kind of floating around in space but you know we have an orbit around them so it's okay it's not that bad like we'll never get there but if this happens that just kind of goes out the window like i never had to imagine before the possibility of a black hole just kind of coming across our path at five million kilometers an hour and just devouring everything (laughs) yeah but it's it's like the um, it's the universal the, the, the equivalent sci- of a Roomba. No, I was gonna say it's, it's like the sci-fi trope of um, asteroid fields. Have you, have you seen that? Yeah. When they're like, they're like, oh, we gotta get through this astro- asteroid field, and everything's really close, and the rocks and everything, like you know, they're dodging and weaving. When reality, you could easily sail through one and like not even worry about it because they're so far apart. It's yeah. just ridiculous. So there's there's that. It'd be like getting a f- an like an 80 inch tv and say that we're a pixel and just throwing a dart and then and, and hitting that exact pixel for actually to hit us obviously much bigger in scale with more than 80 inch but like that's how ridiculously um low the chances are of that happening well that's good yeah it is it is good still so- for us dnd players we know never <laughs> not to count out a one in 20 <laughs> oh, chance Yep, one in twenty. That is, is much, much, much greater than that. So the way the way that this is this worked, and the, the way the science has worked it out, is that um, black holes give off like ripples in space time. I mean, I'm sure we'll we'll try and explain space time in a, in a, in a in a different episode. But essentially, it's it's, it's like a gravitational wave is given off, um, and as the two black holes spiral inwards and coalesce, they emit emit these these ripples which stretch and they squeeze space. It's weird to think about it. Imagine like space is like a sponge and you can compress and sort of expand it. Um, if those gravitational waves that are like shooting off into the cosmo- cosmos in one direction, what's the, the theory, relativity? Like if to move in space, whatever, like you push one direction, it pushes you in the other. That's essentially what happens is that you get this, if this... It, the gravitational wave is shot off into space in one direction. The black hole will essentially recoil in the response to that in the opposite direction. So it's like it's if you imagine a a gun kicking back after shooting a bullet. Yeah. Like that kickback is uh, essentially it being fired off at five million kilometers per hour. Uh, yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Terrifying. <laughs> Terrifying. A cosmological gun being fired and a black hole being shot across the... And just because this is the first time we observed it, maybe that's quite common. Maybe. 
Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, so. I hope we didn't fill you with too much dread. <laughs> <laughs> Existential or otherwise. Existential cosmological dread. Yeah. My favourite kind of dread. <laughs> Call up Cthulhu, because we've got some cosmological dread. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Um, mm-hmm. So something I was looking at may help us with analysing that, maybe in the future. Um, okay. This is about diamond wafers, and it's not about food, as excited as I was <laughs> before I read it. Um, so basically, the storing of information is a massive problem. Mm-hmm. in the computing world, in science world. But it's getting more and more impressive. And researchers in Japan have just taken like a really big step forward, actually. They're making five centimeter wafers, which are mm-hmm. basically discs, two inch discs, if you use freedom units, um, yep. of diamond. That could be used for quantum memory. So this is to do with quantum computing that will help us with our black hole simulations. Mm-hmm. Now, because the diamond is such a high quality, it can store a lot of data. In fact, one five centimeter wafer can store the equivalent of one billion Blu-ray discs. It's a lot of discs, isn't it? That's a lot. Now, diamond is great for this because it has a, a defect in it, which is called nitrogen a nitrogen vacancy center and they use this i guess empty place or this place of uh, where nitrogen should be to store the data in a superposition okay and so they try they try to use this in basically to store superconducting quantum bits or qubits but mm-hmm. previously it was an issue because the diamond either had to be so big to store this much data in which case there was too much nitrogen in the diamond itself and it all got a bit wonky, or the diamonds were too small. Now, however, they managed to grow these really, really pure diamonds up to five centimeters so that there's not too much nitrogen, but enough of these vacancy centers that they can use them to store data. And uh, it's pretty, it's just pretty bloody cool, really. Yeah. Because that, that was that was a, a serious concern, isn't it, for for scientists and for um, pretty much anybody that involves in computing at a high end? Is that yeah. we didn't think there was enough resources on Earth to be able to create storage for the information that we need. Exactly, it sounds stupid. Yeah, but like <laughs> a big concern has been okay in ten, twenty, fifty, a hundred years. How do we store data? That's not yeah. too complicated, not too hard to access, access, you know, yeah. So, and this obviously not only improves it for quantum computing, but also gives ideas to other things as well. So yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Because that's what they were, they were, they were coming up with like storing information in DNA. We talked about that before. Yeah. Uh, a long, long, long time ago, we had a chat about this um, and also E. coli. Storing, or it's kind of the same thing. It's, oh. it's, a, it's a variation. It's, it's storing uh, information in like in E. coli as its DNA, and then that being passed on or it surviving, and then reading it from it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a really cool way. I, th- I think we talked about that within the realm of like cryptography. Yes, sending secret messages with E. coli. <laughs> yeah, which is absolutely madness. Be a spy. How would you send a secret message? Embed it in the the DNA of an E. coli, then like shake hands with the person, and they can rub it off, and then you know do their bit. Yeah, with they him. can yeah. rub one off. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they can they can take a sample of the E. coli off their hands, put it in a petri dish, and then uh, you know, and then they can uh, decipher it. Madness. Yeah. Decrypt it if we're going to be you know proper about this. Sorry. Well, with a. With you, with you on the podcast, we should be really. Yeah, if it comes to security. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh me. Cool. Yeah. Any, any other any other news? Uh, the first images from the James Webb. Yes, I put a tweet out about this. Aha! I have. Well, I don't know if it's the exact same ones, but uh, yeah, you go with it, and I'll tell you whether I have or not. <laughs> 
Oh no, I think there was only one 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 uh, bound round uh, released, and there was a comparison which I absolutely love. It's just like this was taken by the Hubble telescope, and it's like this blurry mess. It's like this was taken. Oh, it was the, the, uh, the Spitzer three telescope from the launched in two thousand and three. Yeah, yes. <laughs> just comparing the two, and being like, this is where we've come in nearly ten, oh, twenty years. Excuse me, uh, and it being like a blurry pixelated mess to this like absolutely stunning image that is insane isn't it incredibly clear yeah yeah it's absolutely insane really really cool so if you want to actually know what we're we're speaking about of course you can go to at info entropy pod or information entropy pod on instagram as well i put it up on both so go check it out really really cool picture it's maybe so excited to see Mm -hmm. okay what's coming next like this thing isn't even fully operational yet. It's like a test picture. Yeah. Assy madness. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Let's just hope one of the, like a black hole doesn't just come flying at us. <laughs> Whizzing through that or uh, we find aliens. Well, that's uh, that's what we'll find out today. Maybe. Yeah, is that maybe. a good thing? Yeah. Is it? Is it or is it not? interesting stuff uh my last piece of news is for those people out there who maybe want to get involved in science or if you're listening to this and you want to try and understand science a bit better then maybe this might be for you and i I found it it's a free course at georgetown university this is not sponsored by the way i just found it genuinely interesting and thought to share it it's like a six-week online course with an american university that's completely free on quantum mechanics Oh, okay. That's <laughs> so yeah, I'll put up a, a link on the Twitter. And the good thing about Twitter is you can schedule it. I've already scheduled it. The tweet's coming out. It's going to be there. I don't have to forget. So at InfoentropyPod, there'll be a link to this if you just fancy learning about quantum mechanics a bit. And you can go at your own mm-hmm. pace. Georgetown University, completely free. Up to you. I just thought uh, the possibility is there. So. Why not share it? Yeah. Have cool it. stuff. So this week, the great filters. Yeah, great filters. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, do you have any facts? Because we normally have like a little facts section here. We we do, yeah. But it's, it was a bit difficult for me to find any on the great filters. Yes, I think you're right. But like, actually, just we've got saying what it is. American coffee, we've got Britta. Um, oh, yeah. There's like pool. <laughs> there's what? Pool, as in like pool, pool filters. Oh, pool filters, I see. Yeah. I yeah. was thinking of the snooker pool. Oh, no, 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 not big. I was like, are the pockets filters? I mean, I guess so. <laughs> Technically, you're not wrong. <laughs> Cigarettes, that's another another great filter. Yeah. Uh, that's not a great filter, that's, that's a bad filter. Um, <laughs> bad for the environment yeah and your body uh so no no uh over no, no facts on this one okay um yeah. i've got a couple of things they're not facts per se but a couple of topics we need to kind of cover before i think we can speak about the great filter yeah i thought that as well um which are the fermi paradox yes and the kardashev scale uh, yes wh- which one would you like to cover have you got can you have you got notes um, on this? I've, no, I've, yeah, I've got, I've got, I've got a little bit of both. Um, okay. If you want to cover the phone paradox, I'll cover the, the, the scale. The scale. The, yes. the, the Kardashev scale. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the Fermi paradox isn't that hard to kind of get your head around. It's basically the universe is vast and it is old. The data that we have gathered through telescopes and stuff shows us that the observable universe, universe even, is <laughs> 92 billion light years wide mm-hmm. and growing faster and faster all the while, right? We think it's about 13.82 billion years old. There are at least 100 billion galaxies, each with 100 billion to 1,000 billion stars, And we know that planets are fairly common around those stars. So we have to imagine there are trillions and trillions of planets, if not habitable ones. 
so where are the aliens? Why yeah. have we seen no evidence apart from weird Uncle Gary who lives in the Midwest <laughs> by himself and sees UFOs? Uh, yeah, apart got a from, camera from like 1990s and he's taking photos and claiming that there's aliens. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the good stuff, Gary. Um, sorry if we've offended any Garys out there. But why <laughs> haven't we seen any aliens? And this is quite funny because Enrico Fermi is the Italian scientist who came up with this. But he didn't do it as like, oh, here's this grand paradox I've created. He was just speaking to his friend at lunch in 1950. And then it kind of gained some traction when they started speaking about it further. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, he died in 1954. So he could never personally you know, pursue the the answer any further. Yeah. But it has been something that's kind of captured the imagination of pop culture and scientists, aspiring scientists al- along the way. So that's mm-hmm. it, really. It's just, uh, yeah. where there are is, the aliens? There, there's something called the chain of reasoning to do with the Fermi paradox as well that I found. Okay. Which is like a step-by-step way of um, highlighting the, the, like, the contradictions right. of it. So the first one is... Uh, you have to agree with. There are billions of stars in the Milky Way similar to the Sun. Yes. With high probability, some of these stars have Earth-like planets in their circ. Oh, I can never say the word circumstellar. So, in their areas, their habitable zone. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Many of these stars, and hence their planets, are much older than the Sun. So if the Earth is typical, some may have already developed intelligent life long ago. Yeah. Some of these civilizations may have developed interstellar travel, a step humans are investigating now. It's like, I love that. It's just, we're investigating it. Um, even at the slow pace of the currently envisioned interstellar travel, the Milky Way galaxy could be completely tra- 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 traversed in a few million years. <laughs> And since many of the stars similar to the sun are a billion years or older, Earth should have already had some visitors by extraterrestrial civilizations, or at least their probes by now. However, there is no convincing evidence that has happened. So, because of all those things, step by step, that is the, uh, the chain of reasoning. Yeah, and that directly relates to the great filters, which we'll come on to uh, in a second. Indeed. The Kardashev scale, then. Indeed. Did I, did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Kardashev. I think it's Kardashev. Kardashev. He was yeah, uh, right. Nikolai Kardashev, yeah. Yeah, Soviet astronomer. Yep. Um, proposed this scale in 1964, and it's a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancements based on the amount of energy it is able to use, which is a... Uh, a very important point. Not can use or does, but is able to. The scale is hypothetical and regards energy consumption on a cosmic scale. So various extensions of the scale have been since proposed, including a wider range of power levels going through like type zero to four uh, and six and use metrics other than pure power. Um, the hypothetical classification known as the Kardashev scale distinguishes between three different stages of evolution of civilization according to the double criterion of access and the use of energy. Now there's type one, type two, and type three. The first type is a civilization that is close to the level that we're on actually on Earth, which is an energy consumption of a very large number, but it's essentially four times, I think it's like, 1019 watts. Okay. Um, okay, it's, it's a very large number. As one that we can harness all the energy from our planet and from our parent star. That is the type one. Um, currently, we we cannot harvest any energy. We are well, we are actually. I say a lie. I was thinking more of like um, a Dyson sphere, but we currently <laughs> harvest a lot of energy from our sun, but not as much as we could do. Uh, so that is type type one. We're not there yet. So type two is a civilization that's capable of harnessing the energy 
radiated by its own star, for example, by means of successful completion of a Dyson sphere. Got way ahead of myself. So a Dyson sphere. Or the word that I can't see is brain. Have you got this down? What, sorry? Ma- it's a, called a Matryoshka brain. Oh, Matryoshka brain. Matryoshka brain, yeah. God, I love those things. What are they? Tell us. So a Dyson sphere is mm-hmm. a machine that you would build around the star to absorb and store its energy, right? Mm-hmm. A Matryoshka brain, I, yeah. can't, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, is basically you use that energy to power AI or not always, but you could basically use it to power a massive supercomputer. Mm-hmm. That computer could be used to basically sustain potentially human life and give you the opportunity to live in like a virtually created world. Yeah, which is... And you never uh, know about it. Yeah, like right now. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, which is a... Existential um, dread. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we, we would be capable of channeling and using the entire radiation output of our star to help, you know, do whatever we wanted instead of travel, that kind of thing. And type three is a civilization that is in possession of energy at the scale of its own galaxy. Which is insane to think about. Yeah. That is a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of energy. It uh, is. Uh-huh. Um, Kardashev believed that type four civilizations were impossible. Um, so we didn't go past type three. However, some new types, zero, which I think that's because people want to label us as <laughs> zero, uh, four, five, six have been proposed. But, yeah. yeah. Carl Sagan, obviously the very famous scientist mm-hmm. and TV presenter, did some refining of the types as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think he, he, he may have been one to introduce the, uh, the specific numbers. Yeah. And he calculated so, where we are as well. Yeah. So currently, yeah. So currently we are, we're not at type one, um, but the physicist and futurist Michio Kaku suggested that if humans increase their energy consumption at a rate of 3% each year, then we may attain type one status in hundred to 200 years. Uh, type two in a few thousand years and type three in a hundred no, hundred thousand, hundred thousand to a million years. Oh, okay. So if we continue at a three percent growth, which I, I believe will speed up, to be honest, knowing yeah. humans, depends if you know nuclear Armageddon doesn't happen. Um, we could probably get there too soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, still sorry, happening. sorry, sorry for the people that are listening to this now. But during the last week, no. Um. I guess that's also limited by how fast we can travel through the galaxy as well. Because if, uh, as you said earlier, like if we can't actually visit the entirety of the galaxy before a million years, it took about a million years to colonize the galaxy, I think. Uh, so we're slightly limited in that regard as well. Yeah. Yes. So well, that that's just like energy consumption if we find a way of doing it. Because... That that is just the use of pure energy. It doesn't actually state that you have to be using the power of your sun. Like if oh, okay. we go down the um, fission, no fusion. That's the better one. Um, then we essentially, if we can get that refined or create some new technology that gives us more energy, that will essentially add to our energy consumption. Yeah. So we don't actually need yeah so the sun, if it will, or the you don't need to use the whole galaxy. You just need enough energy that is the same as using the whole galaxy. Uh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting stuff. Indeed. So I guess that brings us on to the Great Filter, or Filters, which yes. in the context of the Fermi Paradox is essentially whatever event it is, or hardship, that prevents non-living matter from undergoing abiogenesis Mm -hmm. essentially we are multicellular organisms that have the ability to think about even this which is madness when you think about it we're just a collection of stardust thinking about stars um (laughs) 
So, but there are many things that we went through, for example, being in the right place or RNA even becoming a thing to DNA, to multicellular life, to consciousness. Maybe along the way, there are certain hurdles that not all, that not every time life becomes a thing gets past. Maybe mm-hmm. it's something we haven't come across yet. Um, but that's essentially the, the concept, I think, right? Yeah. Essentially. Cool. Uh, and this originated from Robin Hansen. Indeed. Uh, whose argument was that the failure to find any extra ter- extraterrestrial civilization implies that something is wrong with one or more of the arguments that the appearance of advanced intelligent life is probable. And yeah, basically he conceptualized the great filter, which acts to reduce the great number of sites where intelligent life might arise to the tiny number of intelligent species with advanced civilizations. And basically he created some kind of probability thresholds that would determine how likely it is life would pass past certain events that are in yeah. our past or within our future. Indeed. Cool. Um, anything else to add to that? Uh, this, well, if you want to go read the essay, uh, it's titled The Great Filter. Are we almost past it? Uh, oh, oh, I think it's quite interesting. He was an economist. Economist, as other people pronounce it in the usual <laughs> <laughs> I just oh dear I think we should start a petition to change the pronunciation to (laughs) economist sounds a bit more optimistic for some reason yeah economist oh dear he's here for the world yeah economist Uh, and it was first written in um, 1996 yeah so it's not that old of an idea really no it's not in the grand scheme of things yeah, you think like in the grand scheme of science when you've got, I always forget his name, the guy that like first thought of Dyson spheres. Um, Dyson? Asimov. Asimov, what's his name? No, Isaac Asimov not, didn't not, think not, of Dyson spheres. Isaac Asimov, is that the one that wrote the book? Yeah, that, he is the book writer. Yeah, I thought it was like he came up with, oh, with AI. Is, was, that, was that him? He came up pay, with the three laws of God. robotics. Yeah, but people pen penned him for like, oh yeah, he came out of AIs. Like, now nah, he wrote one on a napkin once in a book. Don't don't at me. Um, wow, it's yeah, not, not fan of Asimov, are you? No, I I am. I just people attributing things to people in the past as like a passing comment and be like, oh well, they invented it. It's like, well, they didn't. They came they up with something. Conceptualized it. They vaguely this vaguely described something that we now have made doesn't mean they invented it or conceptualized it. All right. I see your point. I see your point. Yeah. However, if this happens in the future <laughs> to us, I'm definitely claiming it as my invention. Yeah. What was our, what was the thing that we, we thought of before? It was like, a, not a vacuum, but like when space shrunk in one area, it put it somewhere Cosmic else. tectonics. Cosmic taxonomics, that was it. Such a good, such a grand idea as well. It is. We'll we'll come back to that. We'll we'll come and do an episode on cosmic tectonics. <laughs> we'll write a paper on it and just until rubbish. Yes. Science. <laughs> Submit oh, it to dear. enough journals and we will get it published. Yeah. Pay enough people off. You know, that's how some of them do it, isn't it? That's pretty much just how it works, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> no, that's not how it works at all. It's you're a scientist, so you pay to have your paper analyzed by people and they may reject it and if not you pay them some more to have it actually in the paper mm-hmm. and then when people view the paper the people you paid take that money as well <laughs> so 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 yeah so the filters hansen described a list and yes he said it's incomplete nine and nine currently Currently nine. Yes. Um, and he's basically laid out the evolutionary path that may result in a colonization of the observable universe. Not the entirety of it by one species, but 
the colonization of maybe more than one planet. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to go through that list? Oh, yeah, no, I, I could, yeah. Go through So, the first one is the right star system. And that essentially means, like, you it, it has to be inhabitable planets with a makeup of, like, organics, all the, the, what's it called, the, the foundations, bricks, building blocks, yep. building blocks, uh, be to be able to turn that into organics or life forms. Exactly. You could be in the right place, but have none of the right materials. Yeah. Uh, number two, uh, reproductive molecules. So... RNA. So you could have the organics and be in the right habitable planet, but you may not have the right reproductive molecules. So you're not getting any further than that. They may just never form. And that's why yeah. it's such a big question on Earth to us humans. We're searching for the origin of life. You know, they think it's around thermal vents that RNA kind of spontaneously came into being. Yeah. This is that, essentially. Indeed, it is. the uh, The next one is single cell life forms. Yes. Well, uh, simple single cell life forms is the first one. Let me get that correct. Uh, prokaryotic is yeah, definitely we love a our word. prokaryotes. Prokaryotes. Yeah, prokaryotes. Oh, that's what I say. No, I just I don't know. To be honest, I haven't said it in such a long time. <laughs> in my head, I was saying it one way, and then it came out a different way. You said it correctly, though. No, you, you did. Oh, nice. Sick. <laughs> um, I wonder what does that mean, Tom? You're, you're the, the biologist here. What? Prokaryotic yeah, like, life? Yeah. What does, that, what does that mean? Yeah, and what does that mean for our people that don't know out there? It's just single cell organisms. As in, okay. like, uh, if you think of a diatom, which is a piece <laughs> of mean? algae... Right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the sea, yeah. Um, the entire plant is just one cell. Okay. Yeah. Like that, that's it. Bamboo is just a bunch of cells stacked on top of each other. Yes, but it's multiple cells in, let's say, organization, thus making a bamboo plant, which is multicellular. Yeah, but stacked on top of each other. Yes, but it's still a plant. They are organized. Yeah, I just mean like they're like perfectly on top of each other. That's why they can grow so fast and so high. But that's like us as well, really. I mean, so... <sighs> I didn't grow that high. <laughs> <laughs> but we are organized. Um, uh, prokaryotic <laughs> cells. <laughs> Mentally not, but physically, uh, no, not really either. Just uh, say. Yeah, no. So prokaryotic basically encompasses your bacteria and archaea which are your old um your older generation species like they're not old because they're still here evolutionary but Mm -hmm. basically their genetic material is not within the bound of a nucleus so if you think about the dna and the cells they store all the dna inside a little nucleus and it's all packaged up nicely and then when they want to replicate they get it out and mm-hmm. they copy. Uh, they don't do any of that. It's just kind of free floating around the, the cell. And they're often a lot smaller. So 0.1 to 5 micrometers. Mm-hmm. Micrometers? Micrometers? Mic- micrometers. Micrometers. Well, you uh, can call them micrometers and micrometers. It's like, um, calling it like a kilometer, like a kilobyte or a megameter, a megabyte or a gigameter. But nobody, nobody uses a gigameter. I don't know why. It sounds awesome. But like, yeah. where are you going today? I was going on a bike ride for a couple of gigameters. Yeah, that's really far though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't and say it's coming back on the same day. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was gonna say weirdly. I think when I go for bike cycle rides, and when I do distance, I do it in like miles. Oh, that's the that's the Brit in you. Yeah, speeds yeah. as well, which makes no sense. What? Sorry. So we do speeds and miles as well. I can't visualize a mile, but if you told me how to visualize like a hundred meters or like a thousand meters, I could because that's a sprint, like a thousand, like hundred meters. Uh, yeah, I just can't visualize distances. <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds really odd, but my um, brain just can't 
do that kind of visualization. Like we were in the car the other day, and my girlfriend was like, "Okay, take the the left in a hundred meters." <laughs> I just went straight past it. She was like, "Where are you going?" I'm like, "I don't know." <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, dear. what's the next step? <laughs> the next step is a complex single cell life. So this is our eukaryotes, uh, which or, is, as I would like to pronounce it, <laughs> eukaryotics. Oh, bloody hell. <laughs> yes, our EU karyotics, who... Yeah. yeah. I was trying to make some kind of Brexit joke then, but it just wasn't coming. Um, yeah, no, 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 so no. our EU karyotics... <laughs> yeah. No, that's going to trigger too many people. It's triggering me. Our eukaryotes uh, are yeah. any cell organism that possesses a clearly defined nucleus. So... The eukaryotic cell has a nuclear membrane that surrounds the nucleus, and inside that are well-defined chromosomes, or bodies that contain the hereditary material. So, basically, any plant or, sorry, any animal cell, definitely, and most plant cells as well, I think. Mm -hmm. I say most, and not all, because there are always exceptions. (laughs) Yeah. So the issue is they haven't made the jump to from simple to complex. It's, it's kind of like, if you think of this as, as an order of like not being able to hit the next uh, stage, if you will. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So then the next one is sexual reproduction. Yeah. Is that a big jump? I don't know. I think so. It's a very yeah. big jump, really. And I'm, I don't know how this is number five and not number six. Um, but my yeah. biology I, knowledge I, is not extent well is extensive in certain parts but not in others uh, sexual reproduction is basically instead of cloning myself and just splitting into two yeah. I need the nucleus or I need the genetic material from another cell so we can make two uh, mm-hmm. one so yeah it's instead of just spontaneously popping into two yeah it's uh actually two different cells come together to exchange material and produce another one which has a mixture yeah. of the two and then the next one's multi-celled life and i can see why you would think like how are they this way around but i guess it's like a chicken or an egg scenario did you need to have sexual reproduction to then have multi-celled life i don't know <laughs> but it does make sense, actually, that sexual reproduction comes first. Yeah. Because although mutation it's not how we you? think about it now, exactly, it would speed up mutation rate or diversity rate. Instead mm-hmm. of everyone just cloning and mutating, you know, there's actually a, a you know, a mixing of genes. So, yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. It does. I thought it did. So, yeah. The next is using tools. Yep. With intelligence. It's very interesting because if you think about some, some other animals aside from human beings, that they know how to use tools or they can be taught how to use tools. That means there's there's some other animals on Earth that are now number seven. Yes. Um and that list is ever growing. Yeah. But the specific the specificity here is tool using animals with intelligence. And intelligence is quite vague, but it, I, does it does that still limit out everything else other than humans? Like, what does intelligence here mean? Yeah, is what I'm unsure of. But I mean, we know lots of animals that use tools, from corvids to apes to marine mammals to humans. Mm-hmm. Not all of us are intelligent, unfortunately, <laughs> but we do use tools. I use tools, but I'm not intelligent, so, you know. This is proof I haven't right got, there. I haven't, I haven't got past number seven. Um, <laughs> um, number eight is a civilization advancing towards the potential for colonization explosion. Yeah, so we've exploded ourselves across the world. Um, yes. So now we're just going to do the same thing to the solar system and then galaxy. But we're, it's, we're reducing, aren't we, the population now? I think the last numbers. 
Um, it depends the, what country you look at. The average reproduction rate is below two, I thought, and that means that we're in a bit of a pickle. In Europe, yes. In the world, no. Okay. I think that so was because we we spoke to someone very weird, but interesting conversation about this. Yes. Uh, and I think the global rate isn't going down, but it is in. I don't like uh, using the was, word developed was, countries, but yeah, first world, third what, world. Yeah, that classification. Yeah. yeah. So for those that don't know, if if you don't have a reproduction rate above a certain amount, it means that when if there's a a coupling of individuals, um, and they are wanting to have children and re- reproduce if you don't have more than two you can't have more it can't expand going down so if it's if it's less than two you essentially are decreasing the size of your population yeah because if you, if you think you have like two parents that go to one child and then that one child will go to one child but and then that'll be it <laughs> there'll be there'll be no more people in my head i've got like two sets of parents yeah. And they both have one child and that leaves you with just one couple that can have one child and that's it. That's the end. Three steps. <laughs> end of In humanity. three generations, humanity <laughs> will be over. Um, yeah. But yeah, essentially, if like in one generation, every couple had one child, then you would half the population into the next generation. Yeah. And there's like, so obviously some some have more some have less it's just yeah. like a, an average it's like the uh, the average amount of legs that humanity has is like 1.7 or something yeah which i love love statistics that ridiculous like that it's fantastic it's a good it's a great way to use statistics yeah and also show how useless they can be sometimes mm-hmm. like averages gotta hate averages <laughs> i shouldn't be so passionate about them really but hey here we are um, and what's the last one on the list then? The la- well, number seven, uh, number eight is where we are at now. I just want to put yes. like, we're, we're, we're advancing towards that. Uh, number nine is a colonization explosion. So it's basically us colonizing other planets. And, yeah. Uh, Living I, there. I guess they imagine it like an explosion in the sense that, I don't know, like the Cambrian explosion or when humans uh, across the globe, it wasn't like, you know, overnight, obviously, but it started off slow and slow and then it gets exponential. Yeah. Until it's all full up. Yeah. It's, it's essentially that. And for us, it comes like, it's really space travel is going to be the, the yeah. thing you hear is a pin. It's going to essentially when that becomes readily available, we can just go out and people can own spaceships and, yeah. Colonized different planets and whatnot. I can't That's wait for Futurama to become yeah, reality. <laughs> yeah, when we're ninety and they can ship us off to a to a, to a yeah. different planet. Yeah. That's some cool stuff. Um so yeah. according to the Great Filter hypothesis, at least mm-hmm. one of these nine steps, if the list were complete, and if not, however many steps there are, must be improbable. Mm-hmm. If it's not an earlier step, because if it weren't improbable, then it would be likely that we would see lots of aliens, or not lots, but at least evidence of. Yeah. So one of them must be improbable. If it is not an early step, i.e. seven, one to seven, i.e. in our past, then the implication is that the improbable step lies in our future. Mm-hmm. And our prospect of reaching step nine, which is interstellar colonization. And the weird thing is, like, we don't know, do we? We don't know which one's the improbable one because we've, yeah, we've, we've, we've done them. It. Yeah, we fluked our way through them. Yeah. But I guess we'll see once we try and do the, 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 the colonization thing mm-hmm. um, and see how it goes. So... Yeah. We've got 10 minutes left <laughs> to get through our topic each. Uh, what, what did you look at? So I, I, I got to number nine and thought, okay, well, ha- beyond the solar system, how are you going to do that? 
Yeah. Because, and I'm sure this will eat into our next week's... <laughs> Honestly, this is what I was week. planning for next week anyway, is uh, yeah. exactly at number nine, so it works well. Yeah, so there's like... There's, a, there's, there's several hundred billion potential stars with possible colonization targets. The main difficulty that we've got as a race is getting be- from here to there is covering that very vast distance to the other star. Um, and how, how are we going to do it? Is there a combination of like really high speeds like uh, FTL, fast and light travel or near speed of light travel? Great that game. That kind of stuff. Yeah, FTL is a wonderful t- uh, strategy game. Uh, so it's how we, how are we going to do that and then again traveling is the first step is then technology for the colonization itself like can we produce oxygen do we need to we're going to need like 3d printers that can print anything that we need because we don't know what's going to be there um but yeah fabricators so will solve yeah. so much fabricators like i'm thinking be- of subnautica Yes, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Subnautica and um, there's another one that's based on land. I can't remember the name of, but it's very, very, very similar. I um, want to change my answer to last week's question of my favorite game of all time. Subnautica. That's a good game. As a rebiologist who loves sci-fi, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there is not one game that encapsulates <laughs> all of my needs mm. better than that does. Yeah. I'll put it on par with Portal 2. Sorry. Yeah. I also, I, I rethought and th- I was thinking Downhill Domination or SSX Tricky oh. may, may hit the top spot or top five. Those, those are some good memories. I don't know Downhill Domination. Imagine... SSX um, Tricky, that is... Yeah, imagine, imagine SSX kiss. Tricky, but um, on mountain bikes. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's like same thing. Um yeah great times so hypothetical starship concepts proposed by both scientists and hard science fictions so these are kind of like examples of how we may do it which i think is quite interesting i'd like to get your your thoughts on them and how doable so a yes let's ask the biologist Well, it's, 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 this is just science fiction stuff as well. Okay, yeah. So a, a generational ship or a generation ship would travel much slower than light. Um, it would take decades or centuries to get to what they're, they where they need to go. And the crew would essentially go through some generations before the journey was complete. So you'd start off with mm. some people who would then have some children and then they, those children would have children and then the, the the grand the grandparents would die off, and you would need a couple of generations before you got there. Like then, Wally. Yes, essentially Wally. Yeah. Wally. Okay. Wally. Yeah. So none of the initial crew would be expected to survive to yeah. reach the destination. Essentially. Okay. Yeah. So I really want to ask you, like psychologically what do you think about that would you be put in that position but with seven minutes to go that's a next week question <laughs> is, that yeah. is and we'll cover that we'll cover some issues with it as well and then you've got a sleeper ship which is the crew is suspended in hibernation or suspended in animation animation for a little bit or all of the the, the destination oh, okay they they this be. is a very common sci-fi Trope. Yeah, like let's go get to the cryopods. Yeah, like the passengers. Um, passengers, is it? Yes. Yeah, so it breaks. Um, an embryo carrying interstellar starship, like Interstellar. <laughs> Where's the buzzer? That's one. That's one. Yep. So it transports. So you need a, a, much, a much smaller ship because you're just transporting human embryos and DNA in a frozen or dormant state. Um. Okay, what happens? Like, who's there to care for them? Um, have you seen Raised by Wolves? No. That that is the the premise of of, of Raised by Wolves. There's two oh, okay. AI that the AI essentially gives birth by becoming a vat for the the human children. Uh, it gives birth to five kids and then looks after them on this this world because they escaped some war horrors and it goes from there. Raised by wolves. 
It's really good. That's mad. Okay, it's, write that down. <laughs> it's really good. And I'll try and watch that before just, uh, next week. Oh, it's a series. Even better. Yeah, it's a series. Um, intro. The intro song is really creepy, but really well done. Um, lots of creepy things in it, but really, really, really good. Yeah, uh, that sounds weird. I'll yeah, uh, I'll try and check that out before <laughs> next week. Okay. The next one is a nuclear fusion or fission-powered ship, so in like an ion drive of some kind that can achieve velocities of perhaps like 10% C. <clears throat> so like one-way trips to nearby stars. Okay, with yeah, yeah. duration comparable to human, human lifetime kind of stuff. Kind of um, like we would do if we went to Mars, but obviously that's a lot closer. Yes. You've then got things like a Project Orion ship, um, or a, which is like a nuclear-powered concept proposed by Freeman Dyson, uh, which essentially uses nuclear explosions to propel a starship. That's one of the riskier ones. <laughs> it is, yes. Um, the next one is uh, laser propulsion concepts. So we, that, that happens yes. currently at the moment, um, but very, very small and for like... Uh, small tracking movements, I think. Yeah. But it's essentially like a a light sail that can reach very high speeds. Um, was it just like... Which is very interesting, device? actually. Yeah, it is. Light it's, sails blow my mind. Like, yeah. how so, does that work? But yeah. There's also a, like a hybrid that they believe, like a light sail. It uses a light sail for acceleration and then uses a fusion electric uh, motor for deceleration. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The final one is uploading the human minds or artificial intelligence and being transmitted via radio or lasers at light speed to interstellar destinations where a self replicating spacecraft has traveled and then had set up an infrastructure and then you're like put into the mind of like a robot or something. Holy shit. It's called extraterrestrial intelligence. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was like, ah, yeah, that would be. Once we get past the like being able to upload our minds into stuff, you could essentially copy and paste yourself. Weird thing to think about. But if you could capitalize that, you could either upload that on a ship and then send the ship off with all the AI on board in a dormant state, or you could essentially just beam it across the galaxy. Well, not even in an ion state, really. Uh, ion? What What, what, what uh, was the word you said? Hybrid, hybrid. Dormant. Dormant, yes. Not even in a dormant state, because you could just, like, simulate an entire world whilst they're on that Yeah, it'd be ship. like San Junipero, but, like, full on a spaceship. Yeah. Well, there's another case of existential dread for you all <laughs> listening at home. <laughs> yeah. That's, I've never, I've, why have I never come across that before? That's great. Uh, yeah, great idea. And then um, there's a game that I'm currently playing uh, called Starcraft. Star something. That is a um, game. It's Starcraft. Starcraft, Starcraft is like the, the top yeah, down. No, 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 not Starcraft. <laughs> Let me get it up. It's, a, it's an early access game, but essentially you play as these robots with like consciousnesses in them. And if- you. Yeah. You say F? Uh, I was going to say, if we got to the point where we can copy and paste and transfer consciousness and we transfer this as AI, right? But like, even though it's us, it's technically AI, right? Is that humans colonizing the universe? Have we lost our human status at that point? Or how many generations does it take? Or do you even have generations at that point because you're robots and you'd assume your AI mind doesn't decline? Like there is no death oh, at yeah, that it, point. It, it, it doesn't lose. You, you presume yeah. there's no death at that point. So yeah. have we immediately lost our humanity? How long does that take before we're it, not It, it depends. It depends what you, what you define your humanity as. But like, would that be the human race exploring? Or if we suddenly become like, Another thing I, is I've that always the next that that's, evolutionary yeah, I, stage. I've always thought that's the next evolutionary stage because we're moving more towards like it's always been communication. And like we have the yeah. age of communication, which is now. But I think that's the next one as we transfer that even further. 
Um, it's called Starbase, is what it is, essentially. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You can mine everything and build your ships from scratch. Um, very fun. Very good. But yeah. Um, did you lose humanity being transferred? If it's a one-for-one replication of who you are, because at, at a certain stage, you're pretty much locked into the way you're thinking, aren't you, psychologically? Well, there's like, some flexibility after- going on there, but yeah. Yeah, but that flexibility essentially would be baked into your your AI unit or yeah. your upload unit, and then yeah, that would be you. The, I guess it depends industry. how what how good the replications are. How well does the AI mimic a human brain? Yeah, let's just say it does it like hundred percent. It's it's a one for one. Another Oaks. thing I just thought on, on top of this is if it was one for one, you would have some weird interactions with memory because you would never forget anything or would you have to bake that in well if it acts exactly like a human brain then you would forget things yeah but and if it copies your brain or is it they're just a template that it copies your things onto because if there's Mm. just a template then it's like okay we can give you perfect memory or if it's an exact copy of your brain then you're going to have the same let's say uh problems in quote marks that are not problems but you know yeah, it's it's a whole. It's it's difficult to make the assumption to be like we can now copy the brain because there's a lot of steps that we'd have to get you have to go through to to get there. Yeah, would, would one of those being like determining memory, determining like what's copied, how it's copied? Is it a one for one? You can can we have just, things up in the cloud, could, and then yeah, like then you could just modify things, and it, it would that you would have to go through the be to be. To be able to recreate something 100%, you'd have to go through the the process of being able to edit and modify it to one's needs, if that makes yeah, sense. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. At that point, you could just make consciences-likenesses of yep. conscience. Like you could just recreate Because if you're recreating one, would, could you do it from scratch or is it too complex? Would you have to scan to upload it? It depends, like... No, you can definitely do it from scratch once you've done it a few times. Like, let's say this is done in the US where you have zero privacy rights. You think you do, but you don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're keeping that data. Once you've uploaded 100 brains, you're like, okay, I can just mash a few of these together and you've created a new one. Mm-hmm. You do that 10,000 times through learning algorithms and you can create one. And you could kind of deprogram it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. To figure out how to make engineer. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. But being there in the first place, you would have to have a pretty good idea of what's going on to even be able to copy it and not have it screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty mad. That's a really cool thing. Really cool indeed. Hmm. Cool. Um, so what I was going to speak about is... Apologies. Yeah, the the first problem... <laughs> no, no, it's, it's quite all right. It was very interesting. Um, was the first kind of filter, which is being in the right star system and habitable planets and what makes a habitable planet. Um, but we are over the hour now. So why don't we just come back to this next week? What do you say? Yeah, I think we should. I think we should come back to it. Okay, so next week we can speak about habitable planets and space colonization. I think was pretty much our plan anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Indeed. And they, they actually fit well together. So, awesome. Um, so I guess that will, that will be a wrap then. Don't forget to share this with your friends, family, co-workers, scientists, so we can annoy them with our inaccuracies and mispronunciation of words. Even your dog and your plants, because every listen counts. If you want more information, fun, and science, then follow us on Twitter at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes coming your way. And don't forget, if you like us, give us a rating. We really appreciate that and helps us out an absolute ton. I've been Tom Jenks. This has been Mitchell Gatting. Have you got anything... Anything you'd like to say? No, that's it for me. Uh, You'll catch me in the next episode. We will indeed. So that has been us. This has been the Information Entropy Podcast. Hopefully we've helped to decrease some of the entropy 
of information in your lives. And if not, <laughs> we'll be back to do it next week again. Yep. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>